Praise God. So, last Wednesday night, I taught on know your enemy. Know your enemy. Everybody said with me, know your enemy. Your enemy's not sitting beside you regardless of what you think. Your enemy didn't uh, sign up to be a member of this church regardless of what you think. I'm not your enemy, that's for sure. And uh, your enemy is not a, a, a neighbor down the street. It's not somebody on your job. Now, you may think they are, but ultimately that's not your enemy. Your enemy is the devil himself. And uh, I'm, I'm going to continue what I started last Wednesday night because I, I feel like there's some things that we need to understand. Now, last week we talked about the the strategies of the devil and the things that he comes against, and he can, we talked about him coming for our mind, and and I'm telling you right now, that is a number one priority of the devil to get to people's mind, and we understand that we know that his strategy is lying, his strategy is deceiving, and we understand. The, the weapons that he uses against our mind. The Bible talked about vain imaginations. The devil will put vain imaginations in your mind. And uh, we understand that, that he's a sly old fox. We used to sing a song when we were kids in Sunday school, the devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. Lock the box and throw away the key. For all those tricks he's played on me. Anybody remember that beside me? Oh, I'm glad there's some old folks here tonight. Praise God. I, I want to read the same scriptures, and I'm going to do this every Wednesday night that I read to you last Wednesday night, and I'm going to read a couple of different translations. They're, the scripture is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 because this is what I want to talk about. Paul said, lest Satan should get advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He said, Satan don't need to get advantage of us. We're not ignorant of what he's trying to do. In the New International Version, it said, in order that Satan, <clears throat> pardon me, might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. How many of you believe the devil devises schemes to trip us up? Schemes to cause us to backslide and to lose out with God. Schemes, amen. And I'll read the, the, the Living Bible. In one more translation, it said this, the same scripture, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, a further reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by Satan. For we know what he's trying to do. When are we going to learn that all of his tricks are in this book and we can be aware of what the devil is trying to do to trip us up? Amen? And, and if you don't understand that, you've got to dig deeper into the Word of God because the devil, and I said it last week, the Bible tells us to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary. Peter said, it's your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We must 
know our enemy. So tonight I want to come from a little different perspective. We know he uses lies. We know he is a deceiver. The great, one of the greatest methods that he uses in these last days is deceit. We understood that. I talked about that last week. And if you weren't here, you can go back and, uh, and pull it up and listen to it on your iPhone or your computer. It'll be a whole lot better than some of that other stuff you're listening to. Just thought I'd throw that in for good measure. Amen. So let's talk about it. Let me read a scripture to you in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. Here's what, here's what the Lord said. The Bible said, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan had desi hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Revelation 9 and 11 said this, they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his, hath his name Apollyon. Abaddon in the Hebrew simply means this, a destroying angel. But Apollyon in the Greek means this, a destroyer. So tonight I want to talk to you about Satan the destroyer. He's not a builder, he's a destroyer. He don't want anything to last that is of God. He don't want your consecration to last. He don't want your family to last. He wants to destroy everything about you, both body, mind, and spirit. And so what I want to talk about tonight, we talked about the mind last week. I want to talk about the target of Satan as being your body. Amen. Uh, it's, this, it's been this way from the beginning. The body as a serpent, as a serpent, he deceives. But we understand as a lion, he destroys. He wants to come against everything that is of God. If you go back and look in the scriptures, you'll find out that one of the greatest attacks of the devil upon those he brought attacks upon were their body. If you go back and look at the book of Job, you will find that Job, brought, he lost this. He lost the fruit of his body, which was his children. He lost the, the means to sustain his body, which was his herds and his flock and his wealth. And then he lost the health of his body, and the devil literally attacked the body of Job. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. He lost his children. He lost his flocks. He lost his herd. He lost everything that he had. But if I could tell you tonight that the reason the devil attacks our body is because our body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. So let me lay it out for you tonight. When you come to God and you turn your body and your mind and your soul over to God, it becomes the abode of God. It becomes where God lives. We understand this. Here's, I'm going to give you plenty of scripture tonight so that you can take this home with you. Your body 
Everybody say, my body is God's temple. Oh, you better, you better get your spurs on because you're going to have to hold on here tonight. Because I'm going to give you some stuff you need to think about. The devil loves to destroy every body, not one word, but every body he can because your body and my body is where God wants to live. I can prove that by the scriptures. Now, some of us have turned the temple of God into a cathedral. If you don't get that, go home and think about it. You will. But regardless of what you think, God lives in this old house of clay. And he lives in this, in this mortal body. That's his abode. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Read along with me. It'll be on the screen. Here we go. What, Paul said, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Everybody say, I don't belong to me. You don't. When you came into God's kingdom, he bought you with a price. And your body, the Bible said, is not your own. It now is God's temple. It now is where God, oh, brother, if we could get the concept of this on a daily basis, me and you and everybody else. The Bible said in verse 20, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, so here's what we have to do. We have to take note and we have to be careful everything that we put in our body, everywhere our body goes, everything our body does. I love that scripture that said, bodily exercise profiteth little. Some of y'all do too, I can tell. Some of you like it. I'm just playing with that. But, but here's the facts. Our bodies are really important to God, and the devil knows that. 1 Corinthians 3.16, here's what he said. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Watch this. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple God, for the temple God is holy, which temple ye are. See, the Bible don't spell out everything that we as Christians should and should not do. But the principles are there. There, there is no scripture that says, don't smoke Marlboro. There is not one scripture that says, don't shoot up drugs. There's not a scripture. Oh, you don't get quiet on me now. But there, there, there is one against gluttony. And we'll just all say, Lord, help us. Amen. There is, there is scripture for that. But you don't hear much preaching on that, especially out of fat preachers. We're just being honest. Come on now. We don't talk about that a lot. But here's what I want to tell you. If you are the temple of God, your body 
has to be taken care of. And we got to be careful what we put on it, what we do to it, what we put in it. Now, y'all going to help me tonight? This will be a whole lot easier if y'all just help me a little bit. I'm not going to get too hard on you. I'm just going to quote your scripture, okay? Somebody, somebody, you know, here, here's what I believe. Now, now, if I if I rub you the wrong way tonight, I've been known to do that a few times. Just forgive me and come on back Sunday, and I'll try to mend you up and put a little oil and salve on it and and uh, preach to you again. Here's what I here's what I believe. God made you a unique person. Now, look, we're not all skinny as a rail. Some folks can eat anything they want to and never gain a pound. I can smell food and drink game weight. Amen. I see some of you agreeing with me. You're in the same boat that I am. So we're not all made the same. We're not all, we're not all, uh, uh, we don't like the same things. We don't do the same things. But here's what we have to do. As individuals, we have to take care of, I, matter of fact, I, man, I've dieted so much. I'm like Merle Ewan. Somebody asked him one time he was on a diet. He said, how much have you lost, Brother Merle? He said, I have literally lost thousands of pounds. And that's where I'm at. I've lost thousands. I just keep finding them. I lose them, and then I find them. And uh, I know you don't. You, some of you don't have to worry about that, but some of us do. But not long ago, I said, Erlene, have you ever looked at my dad? You, did you ever see my dad? She said, well, yeah. I said, well, I'm pretty sure that's the way God made me and him both. I'm about to die and be happy. I was sick of dieting. That was on one of those days. But, but here's, here's where I want, your, your body's important. You know, it was important in the Old Testament. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you what the law said. You ready? I'll take you all the way back to the Old Testament, Leviticus. Here's what it said. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. What do you think? You think our generation might be crossing the line? You see, if you're watching by internet, I love you. This is Bible study night. This is why I believe that God put your body the way he wanted it. You don't have to try to alter it. You don't, you don't, you don't need to be cutting on it. You don't need to be marking it up. Come on now. Well, that was the Old Testament law. Well, I'll tell you what Jesus said. I didn't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. And I submit to you that if the body was important in the Old Testament, the body much more in the New Testament because they didn't have the Holy Ghost in the Old Testament and they weren't the temple of God in the Old Testament. He dwelt in the tabernacle. But you are now his tabernacle. You are where he lives now. And so what we have to do is make sure we keep everything right before God. Now, I'm not talking about before you came to God. You can't go back and undo some things that you did when you were in sin. And God doesn't expect you to do that. I believe judgment begins in the house of God. But I'd be careful before I went down and got me a fresh tattoo. See, y'all had not heard me talk like this in a while. 
I'd be careful. Man, I, 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 I'd just be careful what I did to my body. Watch me now. From the top of my head to the sole of my feet. God made you the way he wanted you, and you don't need to be messing around and altering that. <laughs> Nudge your neighbor and say, he may get in trouble tonight. But I want to tell you, I ain't scared. 1 Peter 3, verse 3. Let me hurry. Here's what Peter said. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of hair and the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit which is in the sight of God, great price. So you're saying, Pastor, that there don't need to be the outward adorning of the plaiting of hair. Well, I think you got to go study that because I don't think hair plaiting will send you to hell. I think what Peter is addressing is his day and what was going on. And, and the plaiting of hair in those days when, when there was outlandish hairdos with gold and, and, and silver and tapestry all put in that. It was, but here's what, here's what Peter's saying. Don't, now, if he's, if he's saying you're going to hell for adorning a plaiting of hair and wearing a go. He's also saying you're going to hell for putting on apparel. I'm so glad we all got dressed tonight, aren't you? So, so putting on apparel, we know it's not sin. Here's what he's saying. He, he explains himself in the next verse. He said, let it be the hidden man of the heart. Let it be this man down in here in that which is not corruptible. Matter of fact, let me read these two scriptures, uh, 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4 in the NIV. Now, this is good stuff, and this is due to, do good to live by. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. That's not what it's all about. That's what Peter said. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Amen? If you think all gold is sin, you are going to be a miserable human being when you get to heaven. Because the streets are gold, and the walls are jasper, and the gates are pearl. And there's all kind of expensive stuff there. Amen. So that's not what it's all about. What it's all about is keeping the inner man right and letting it project unto the outer man. The New King James Version said this, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Apparel. Don't let that be all it is to it. This is not a fashion show. This is a church. And when you come and you, you get the goods, let your beauty come from a great spirit. Let it come from the inside where God lives. Let me tell you what I feel like. I feel like when we got Jesus on the inside, working on the outside, everything will be okay because he knows how to make it that way when he gets down in here. He said, rather, in the New King James Version, verse 4 said, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart which the incorruptible beauty of a gentle 
or with the, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. God is not nearly so concerned about what you wear and put on your hair and put on your body. All of that's important, but he's saying this, get a right spirit. Get the Holy Ghost on the inside. Let the temple of God be pure. And when you start doing what God wants you to do in here, it will come out and you will not only be inwardly right, but you will be outwardly right. Amen. See, I, I, don't, I don't think that we ought to look like somebody off of Bourbon Street. I think we got to be careful. I, I don't even think that, that we should show the nakedness of our bodies because our bodies are holy. Our bodies are the temple of God. Now, there's a few things that, that you know, that are, that we all got questions about. I can't answer them all tonight, and I ain't even going to try. I've been doing this long enough to know that you can find a level in God where you won't want to expose yourself. And I'm talking to men and women. It's, 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 not, about, it's not about, you know, and look, I have nothing against people working out and, and going to the gym. And look, I, 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 wish, I did it for a long time. I did it. I never, I never got where some of these guys get. And, uh, you know, God bless them. They're, I guess they were more into it than I was. But, but there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong, wrong with wanting to look good. Ladies, you want to look good and there ain't nothing wrong with it, okay? Look good. But don't let that be all it is to it. Make sure that the Spirit of God is emanating out of you in whatever you do. Hello. Don't shame your body in nakedness because nakedness has always been a shame unto God. Here's my question. If not, why did God clothe Adam and Eve when they were naked? Amen? It's going to be quiet tonight. Here's what Satan is. He's a destroyer of your body. He hates your body. He wants you, he wants you to, to despise your body. He wants, you, he wants to kill your body. He wants to take life from your body. He wants to make your body his body. And when he does that, he will call, cause lust and, and problems and situations that you won't know how to handle. I'm going to read a little scripture to you. It's found in Isaiah chapter 47, verses 1 through 4. The, the prophet said, Come down and sit in the dust, o, o virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Unlock, uncover thy locks. Make, thy, make bare the leg and uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. As 
For our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. You, you go study that scripture. You go study nakedness in the Bible. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Nakedness is for your house. And it's for you to take a bath. It's not for you to look that way on the street. I don't really know if y'all want me to go ahead, but I am. Because you see, what nakedness does, it causes lust. And what nakedness does, it causes desire from the other sex. And there's a reason people dress like that. There's a reason they want you to look. And I will tell you, I, I touched on it last Wednesday night about that guy that walked in his church. And I tell you, I, one of these days I'm going to play that on this big screen. And y'all are going to go, ah, this guy, this guy was acid. I don't know where he, who, where he pastors, what his name is. But let me tell you something. When he walked in and he started preaching and, and, and telling his church. And, you know, he, he, here's the deal. Let me, let me just tell y'all. Let me preface my remarks right now because here's what some of you say. Y'all are like the lady in my daddy's Sunday school class years ago that somebody asked the question, why is all the rules for the women? She raised her hand right back there and she said, because the men make all the rules. True. She said it right here in this church. My dad laughed about it many times, and I said, well, you know what? She may have a point. But, but here's, here's, here's the deal. Women, you got to be careful. You don't find anywhere in the Bible for, that says for a, that a woman to look upon a man. We are ugly. We don't have a whole lot to offer. But you have... Because the Bible said you did. And so when a, what Jesus said was if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery in his heart. Never, never did he say if a woman looks on a man to lust. Now, if you do, you, you're, you know, I mean, it may happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a female. But here's what I will tell you. That, that's not the normal chain of events. But. Now, when you come pressing out in a little miniskirt and when your thighs are showing and when your, y'all may get plain, when your top's hanging out, guys are going to look. Ain't this fun? And if you think they're not looking, you're stupid. And if you think that don't make guys take a second look, you're real stupid because guys are guys, and there's red blood flowing through our veins. And Jesus knew it, and he talked about it. And the last place we need that is the church. The last place we need that, the house of God. And I've looked down from this pulpit before and had to look away True story. 
and thought, hmm, wonder what happened to the rest of that dress. So I'm talking about our bodies. Why is this so important? Because the devil wants to rule your body. He wants you to be seductive. He wants you to get those thoughts. He works on men and he works on women. Don't you ever forget it. And the reason he does that is because he wants your nakedness to be exposed. He wants you to dress in such a fashion that will cause uh, calamity in the house of God and calamity in your own life. Let me tell you something. My dad always said, and I'm just going to be honest, he said, I don't believe there's near as much rape as people act like it is. Because when you, ladies, listen to me, I love you, but when you dress certain ways, all I can tell you, and, and, and boy, I'll be in trouble for this, I'm sure, but I'm going to tell you, you're asking for it. be glad when Waffle House gets here. I'm tired already. Amen. But, but the devil wants to destroy you. He wants you to think your body's not important. He wants you to think I can do what I want to. And you know the idea that we have in our society is that I'll do what I want to. You can't do what you want to because you are not your own. I just read it to you out of the Bible. When you came to God and repented of your sins and God baptized you with his spirit and he came to live inside of you, let me tell you what he won't do. He will not dwell in an unclean temple. He won't stay where there's sin. He won't stay where you're doing things unclean with your body. He won't stay there. To keep God in your body, you got to take care of your body because he's a destroyer not only of the mind that we talked about last week, but of your body. He wants to destroy that. Somebody here say amen. Your body belongs to God. Here's what Paul said in his writing in Romans chapter 6. I'm giving you word tonight. Here's what he said. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. That's what I've been talking about. Neither yield ye your members that's your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here's what I'm, all I'm saying to you is this. You are God's place that he lives and dwells. He's not in this church. Listen to me. God doesn't live in this building. The only reason he comes to this building is because the church comes to this building and you are the church, not the building. Not the building. This place could become a pool hall. This case could become a beer factory. This place could become a drug house. What makes it holy is when holy people walk in. It's when godly people walk in. This is the house of God. Yes, it is. And we dedicate it as such. But it is not one mark of the house of God until the church comes in here. And the church makes it holy. We sanctify the ground we walk on. Pat myself on the back because that's good preaching. 
You see, here God wants God wants it, and the devil wants to destroy your body. The Bible said you're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a peculiar people. First Peter 2 and 9 says that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You're not an ordinary man anymore. You can't do what you used to do anymore. You can't act the way you used to act anymore. When you come to God and he says, I'm coming in, and you invite him into your life, and he baptizes you with his spirit, you walk away a different man. You don't live the way you used to live. You don't dress the way you used to dress. You don't even talk the way you used to talk. If any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The Bible said, behold, somebody shout behold. You know what that word means? Look and see. Take a look at it. Behold, the old things are passed away and all things become new. You can see it. I said you can see it. You can see it in their body. You can see it in their dress. You can hear it in their talk. You can know by the, the lifestyle they live. The devil wants to destroy all that. You know what? He'll take your testimony away if he can get to your body. He will destroy your testimony. How can you tell somebody about God and, 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 and how great God is and how you've been filled with his spirit and walk out the doors and light up and put a cancer stick in your mouth. It's your body. How can you tell God about how powerful and awesome and wonderful he is? And coming out looking like you're going to the local bar. Your body is God's treasure. Listen to me. We have truth in these bodies. Listen to me. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Does anybody know what earthen vessels is? You know what that is? Everybody say, that's me. He said, we got this treasure, but it's in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We got this body, this earthen vessel. The Bible talked about the Lord dwelling in our earthen vessels. We are earthen vessels. We are made from Mother Earth, and we became the body and the temple of God because he made us that way. That's what Paul said. Watch this. When he came around in Romans chapter 12 and he was talking to the church at Rome, he said this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Romans 12 and 1. Everybody say it with me. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You present your body. And this is what he said. Your body needs to be holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. How many of you in this room believe God is always reasonable? He doesn't ask you to do unreasonable things. God doesn't want that. Now look, now look. I understand where I'm coming from. You don't have to look like a Quaker. Y'all going to hate me. But you ain't got to own a pair of kids and a blue jean shirt to live for God. Put that camera on me, I'm tired. 
You don't. We've worried way too much about what he or she wears. I don't care if your suit comes from J.C. Penney's or Macy's or Nordstrom's or Dillard's. I don't make God any difference. I, that, that's not what it's all about. It's not about how much you spend, although the Bible talks about it. Some of these preachers that preach on so much holiness Mm. Hello, and they'll strut out in a two or three thousand dollar suit and not think a thing about it. I'm just preaching tonight. You might as well just just gird up with me. This is wonderful. I might do this from now on. This is a fireside chat with Christian life. Welcome. Amen. I'm not, I'm not mad at anybody, but you know what? The devil's lying to you. Make your body a living sacrifice. Present it unto God as such. Just be modest. Just be, just, just look how you feel. Here's what you need to do every day, and we all need to do this. When you put on your wardrobe in the morning, would you just ask yourself this question? Now, would I wear this if Jesus was coming today and I knew he was? When you put it on to come to church Sunday, would you, would you just say, would I? Now, look, I'm not talking about the privacy of your home. I heard a preacher preach against pajamas one time. My God. He don't even want to know how I go to bed. Telling women pajamas was a man's apparel. Dear Jesus. Here's what God does when you go in your bedroom. You ready? You know what God does? He does this. He don't want to look. <laughs> I don't know when I've had so much fun. But it's the facts. You know what the devil uses? Suffering. I'm hurrying. I, I'm, I'm got to get through. Suffering. He likes for you to suffer. Look at Job. He first attacked his possessions, and then he attacked his body. Jesus said to Peter, he said, I prayed for you that your faith fell not. He said, the devil wants to have you to sift you as wheat. He wants you to suffer. Satan, Satan can only go as far as God allows him to go. Don't forget that. All sickness is not of the devil. Just because you're sick don't mean the devil's got you. Because sickness is a part of life. Amen. But there is a sickness unto death. Some things are natural. I wish arthritis wouldn't come when you get older. I wish your joints with my wife. We were riding down the road just yesterday. I think it was yesterday, and she said, I know now. Matter of fact, it wasn't too long ago, and, and, and the lady's been dead for years now, but we pastored a lady in our younger years, and, and every day you, I, you dare not ask, how are you doing, Sister Maxine, because you, you, you were getting into something. And she worked every day, and she worked hard, and, and my wife said, Sister Maxine, I am so sorry that I ever said one word about you. You know why? Because it happens, and you can't help it. And some of you young bucks that think you can help it, I got news for you. You can't help it. 
your knees are going to wear out, and your hips are going to wear out, and your arms are going to wear out, and you got to go get all this stuff replaced. But it's just natural. It happens. God allows some things. And sometimes he allows sickness to come upon us to make us better. I'm going to prove that to you. Job experienced that kind of suffering, and at the end, he was better than the beginning. He had balls break out all over his body. The devil couldn't kill him, but he brought the worst thing he could upon him to make him be in pain. You can't control, you cannot control the origin of your suffering, but you can control the outcome. Suffering is what the devil uses on these old bodies. Satan's purpose is to make you impatient with God and make you, make you impatient with the will of God in your life. Here's what James 5 and 10 said. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy. He knows what you're going through. He knows you're hurting. He knows you're going through sickness in your body. But let me tell you what Job didn't do. He never got impatient with God. I want to tell you something. If I need a revival of any kind, it is of patience. I'm just being honest. I'm a very impatient guy. I want everything yesterday. I want it to happen right now. Amen. And 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 the Lord, the Lord talked about patience. And he James 1, 2, and 4 said, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Impatience, I want to tell you, I'm going to confess to you, impatience is a sign of immaturity. When we have to learn to wait on God, it's the best thing for us. And God has taught me some valuable lessons in my life. Just be still. Just wait on God. God's going to take care of it in his own time. Keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep believing. Impatience is sometimes a sign of unbelief. It's that we just don't believe it's going to happen to us. God is God, and he's going to take care of it. And impatience will cause you to make costly mistakes. That's why Abraham messed up with Hagar, because he got impatient. And that's why Saul didn't wait for Samuel to destroy Agag because he got impatient. When you get impatient, you don't let God do his work. Here's what you have to do. You have to believe, you have to have faith, and you have to know that God is God. And somebody shout amen. Job said, he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When he gets through with me, I'm going to be better off than I've ever been. That's what Job was saying. I got faith. God's tried me. When he's tried me, if I'll just stay true to the course, it doesn't matter how bad my body hurts. It doesn't matter what the devil throws at me. He's destroyed the fruit of my body. He's destroyed my way of taking care of my body. And now he's attacking my body. But when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I know what God is doing. 
You know what your defense is? And I heard you close. I got 10 minutes. Your defense is the grace of God. That's all you have, the grace of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Everybody say a thorn in the flesh. Paul had something wrong in his body. Nobody knows what it is. You can surmise all you want to. You don't know what it was. History said Paul was a beady-eyed little hunchback short guy. I don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. The messenger, listen, of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul said, you know what? God's let me have this thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. He buffeted me. He buffeted me, the Bible said, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, he said, I besought the Lord thrice. In other words, three times, that it might depart from me. God, Paul was praying, oh, God, take this away. I don't know what it was. But he was praying, God, take this off of me. He said, I sought the Lord three times. And he said unto me, Paul said, he said unto me, God, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, my sickness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know what Paul's saying? My greatest defense is the grace of God. He's going to carry me through this. I prayed for deliverance. He didn't deliver me, but he's going to give me grace to bear it. He's going to get me through this situation. I've seen people that were the modern-day Apostle Pauls because they didn't get their healing, but they stayed the course, and they stayed right where God wanted them to be. For years, I've watched people do that. But let me tell you something. In the end, the end is always better than the beginning. When you keep your patience and you keep your faith and you keep believing God, God, you got this old body. God, you're going to take care of this body. I, I, I don't have any, any way of telling you what tomorrow holds, but I can tell you who holds tomorrow. So I must know the Word of God. I've got to memorize the Word of God. I've got to meditate on the Word of God. I've got to use the Word of God. And the Lord will bring all the promises of God to remembrance to me when I'm in that strength where I need Him most. Paul said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. You know why? because I'm going to exalt him no matter what. I'm going to give him praise no matter what state I'm in. I'm going to serve God if I'm afflicted or not afflicted. I'm going to serve God. Is there anybody here with that determination? You can't let the devil destroy you by attacking your body. I've seen people, listen, I've seen people that came down with a disease and they blame God for everything. Well, I served God and now I got cancer. Well, you know what? A lot of people have cancer, people who serve God and people who don't serve God. But I want to tell you something. If I got cancer, I ain't forsaking God at this point. Amen? I'm going to say it's in your hands, God. 
It's all in your hands today. I just use that. I, I don't, I'm not talking about anybody specific. I just use that. But here's what I want to tell you. Don't get impatient with God. Take care of what you can take care of. Do what God wants you to do. Take care of these bodies. Amen. Oh, man, I, I, look, I, I get preached to, too. I went to, a, I went to a, a conference not long ago, and there was, a, there was a preacher that lit in on preachers. It was nothing but preachers there and preachers' wives, and they lit in on us. Talk, look, I got convicted because let me tell you what you need. You ready? Oh, y'all going to love me now. I'm going to end on a good note. You need a vacation. You need rest. The older I get, the more I believe that. You don't need 10 a year. Do you have to always ruin it, preacher? You don't need every other weekend. But you need time off. You need time off from your job. You know what? You know what? Your body, you're not doing yourself good. When your body's so run down and your mind is so tired. That's another sermon for another night, isn't it? I don't believe you're doing good for, toward God, toward yourself, toward your family, toward your church. How many of y'all like vacations? Then could you say amen? Thank you, shall we stand?